When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week number 840 brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you. I got my first real six string. Fanboy Pick of the Week, episode 840. It says 839, and they almost said 839 again. I am Josh Flanagan. I'm here with uh, uh, our, our premier member of the iFanboy Auxiliary Corps, Dr. Ryan Haupt. Hello. I uh, am back. The computer is fixed, and my coffee is in a tumbler with a lid. I so. spilled coffee on myself this morning prior to this, and it was almost bad. What's it your coffee situation these days? How you brewing? You got a French press? You got a pour over? Uh, we we can't start like this. I have a uh, I mean, I'm legitimately Bonavita, curious. I have a Bonavita drip, uh, or, but it's more like a um. Oh crap! What's the phrase? Pour over kind of situation. Gotcha. That's how it works. Yeah. Uh, we we grind up the beans every morning. The uh, hand grinder, burr, uh, blade. Uh, the little machine. No, the little machine. Little uh, like the it's the German company, Braun something. I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah you do clearly that. don't know enough about your own process to have this discussion. Let's move on. I, Lindsay has taken over coffee. <laughs> okay. That's, like I did, that's I fair. set up the process and then, and then she gets up earlier than me. So she does coffee. Gotcha. And so therefore I, I'm not really involved day to day. I still can. We measure, like I have a precise, uh, scale. We measure it in grams. Oh, okay. Prior gotcha. To the, the situation. Uh, so, I'm so sorry. We are a fanboy every week. One of us <laughs> picks the book. <laughs> I'm not, not only, I'm not sorry. Not only did I set you up for this early diversion, I was like, we can't do this. And then I did it. And I was like, and I knew in my head, I was like, this could last 20 minutes. You're an easy you. mark, Flanagan. It's not yeah, hard. And, oh, oh God. Ask me what I think. We are right, <laughs> fanboy. Every week, one of us picks the books they like the best from their stack of comics. We call that the pick of the week. We will talk about that book, other books, books for the week, patron pick, uh, patron powers. The, uh, this is all the stuff that's coming up. The, I guess this is already a spoiler, which brings me to my next point. There are spoilers on the books, uh, not 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 egregiously. We we don't ruin anything for anybody. But, you know, we're going to talk about things that happen. If you're not okay with that, get to stepping. 
this week. Whoa. Ryan mercifully had the pick, as I've had several in a row. Yes, I, and it was a light week for me, but a week of pretty strong books across the board. There were a lot of things I enjoyed. I wouldn't. I would say there wasn't a super obvious standout for pick. When I read the book <laughs> that is the pick, super. I thought it was su- yeah, super obvious. But it turns out. Uh, once I was done with my stack and I, um, I didn't have the pick ready until this morning because there was one book that I fell asleep reading last night, but I still thought it might have a chance. I was just, it wasn't the book's fault. I was tired. And, um, in the end, I decided that Superman Space Age book one story by Mark Russell, art by Mike Allred, colors by Laura Allred and letters by Dave Sharp is the, is taking home the top prize for this week's books. And, uh, it was, it was also, I guess I can spoil that it was the patron pick. And at first patrons, I'll be honest, I was annoyed with you because you gave us a 90 page book three for the patron pick, but I probably would have read this anyway. So that that's fine. I was was thinking about that the whole time that I was reading it. Cause how do I put this? Some 90 page books take forever. Some go very quickly. Uh, but those don't necessarily have a market quality. This one I felt like I was reading for quite a while, but I wasn't annoyed about it. No, there's meat like, on the bone, but it, it, yeah, it, it, it does move at a nice clip. Yep. Um, it's well-paced, well-plotted. Uh, it's, been, it's been a long time since we've seen Mike Allred just do like a straight-ahead superhero story that's not, you know, s- somehow subversive or weird or alt. It's just, you know, well, this is like a Superman story. Well, not only that, it, it's it's um, retro. It takes place largely Clark's youth. It, you know, th- this is around um, assassination of Kennedy, sort of where his his sort of moment. It, of it's if the rocket ship crashed right at the end of World War Two. Right. When Pac uh, comes so, home from the war. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like his Superman's desire to like leave the farm and do more is sort of hinged around the time of, of you know, the assassination of Kennedy. So this is 1963 for those of you. Uh, who are not like me. Um, and as such, though, I think Allred leaned more into like a retro style that isn't like his normal. Like, it looked like Mike Allred. I was trying to figure this out the whole time. I was like, this looks like Mike Allred, but it doesn't. Also, yeah, you're right. In the credits, he credited himself as Mike Spike Allred. So maybe this is like <laughs> the other, like this kind of artist. And the point being, like, I don't like Mike Allred's art. For the most part, I don't. I don't think it's bad. I just have never jived with it. anybody who listens to the show knows that. But I was reading this, I was like, "This art's great." Yeah, it just so, it was the thing for him. Maybe it's who he's working with or whatever. But I thought it did the job. I agree. Um, I thought I, I am more of a fan of Mike Allred than you are. But there was something different about this, it, and I, I also have a hard time putting my finger on it. There was a lot to like about this book. I think the comparisons to New Frontier are obvious. Because yes. it's you're taking you're taking the sort of origins of DC characters and putting them back at the dawn of the space race, which is exactly what Darwin Cook was doing. Um, I think you know there's exactly. comparisons. To be, yeah, there's comparisons to be made, but also this had this is going to sound maybe weird, but this had like almost uh, Elseworlds Red Sun vibes just because mm-hmm. of the time and place it was taking place. And I thought there was a moment in the book where um, he's talking to the holographic memory of Jor El that, that he can you know talk back and forth with because he's got all the responses programmed in. And he and Jor-El says, I'm broadcasting this message in English, but the language this computer believes you have the highest probability of speaking. And I'm like, why? Why? I like, had the same question. Because I, the whole premise of Red Sun is, you know, Superman's rocket lands 12 hours later. But also, if you're an alien race, like, I don't know, A, you can't see our political borders from space. So how would you know what language is where? And B, like, in terms of landmass, this should be Red Sun. He should have hit Russia <laughs> or the ocean. <laughs> um, I'm well, speaking in Atlantean because I perceive you were raised in the ocean. Well, like, like there aren't more English speakers than anybody else. That's not correct. 
True. And do English speakers make up what? Let's say a quarter of the Earth. I think it's, it's the, I think it's the number three spoken language after right. um, Mandarin and Spanish. Right. So that's correct. It's funny. This Jor-El, this Jor-El construct knows a lot more than Jor-El has in the past. Like he's like, so your, your, your power should be coming out. It should work like this. That. And I was like, how does he know all this stuff? But it's okay. I went with it. So, yeah, yeah. The, the basic story is, uh, you know, Clark is grown up and he's like, I can do this stuff. And then his dad has like a different philosophy on how you should be in the world. Uh, you know, Pa Kent fought in the war. He likes things. He, he, he went out. He saw the world. He did terrible things. Uh, and he comes back and he wants the world small. And predictable, and you should do you know what you can in the space that you are allotted, you know. And Clark's like, I want to do more, and you know, it's not really like a conflict, like a dad wants this and a son wants this, but he's trying to give him a context, I guess, for everything. And so, it, I, it's funny because I, on the one hand, I was like, Has Mark Russell never read New Frontier, or is he so in love with it? He's like, I think I can do a story that's sort of parallel to it, but doesn't quite cross over. But it's very, you know what I mean? Like it's so yeah, I'm similar. Not sure. Yeah, and and to get to get back to Paul pa Kent's sort of philosophy, because it wouldn't be a Mark Russell book without character. Each character having sort of a defined philosophy, which I think is is good. I actually think that's a compliment to the mm. book. Um, and you know, Clark is young and he's eager and he wants to get out in the world. He wants to do something, and he's like, I can do it. I can do so much more. I can I can um, toss the hay bales into the truck really fast and pause like do it fast or do it right and this, he has the same attitude with saving the world he's like you're going to save it quick or you're going to save it right and he has a line that that hit me uh while i was reading this book and it says if the world needs you it'll let you know and i was mm-hmm. like oh that's an interesting framing device for paul kent's relationship to clark's heroism and desire to go out into the world and be a hero and a comment on like everybody all these people trying to think that they're heroes or whatever and and how they have they don't understand their place they don't have context. Like, it's very ego-driven. Like, mm-hmm. I can do this. I can fix this. I'm the one who's got it. Now, if anybody, you know, Kal-El has that, he's, he's has a qualified opinion, as it were. And, like, the, the, the only thing about, like, do you want to do it fast or do it right? I was like, I bet he could do it really fast and do a really good job at the same time because he has really powerful speed. But I think he, re- he recognizes his son's naivete in that moment. And, and it, well, impetuousness, I think, is, is yeah. the deal. Um. I like that. It, it's interesting because there's literally so many things in this book that we could discuss. It's a 90-page book. This is, you know, mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes, a short graphic novel, uh, you know, five issues uh, of, of of comics. And and the, there's a ton here. It's it's hard to focus on what it is that, you know, that worked about it because it's so big. But So I'll pick a couple of things, and then you can pick a couple of things. Um, the Sounds characterization good. of this Lex Luthor... I thought was fantastic. A lot of fun. Yep. He is between like sort of the modern arch calculated Lex Luthor and the big silly one in the past. You know, he's, he's evil. He's evil completely, but he's a little silly, little, Mm -hmm. a little bit, you know, but in this, you know, where, where it's the height of the space race. So coast city again, echoing what, what's actually happened, but in a different frame is destroyed. Uh, by a nuclear weapon. False flag. It's a false flag yeah. attack, Josh. Right. That Lex Luthor, uh, you know, had had uh, arranged, and 
you know, and then he's bidding against Bruce Wayne for the government contract with very two different uh, um, it was, strategies. That scene I thought was so weird. I'm just like, wait, it's just this general bidding process of just like you tell like random yeah. corporate executives just come in and tell the military what we need. It's like, shouldn't the military then, at least be giving they, some suggestions? And then they go into the other room and they talk about it like they have to give them an answer today. Like, <laughs> we got to decide on this now. Bruce Wayne's idea was like, let's send Batman and Batmobiles to Vietnam. Like, let's make all soldiers Batman and just go to Vietnam. <laughs> I was like, that's a terrible plan. And Lex Luthor's like, let's build bunkers because we're all going to nuke each other anyway. Yep. Two bad plans. So what was the what was the turning? What was the sort of defining thing that made you say this is the pick of the week? Uh, it was it was a combination of how easily it read for a 90 page book. Um, I liked the way that Mark Russell takes advantage of the time period in which this book is set. You know, it, it, he leans into it. He yes. has Lois like down with the the Freedom Riders and gets. I, I love the scene where she gets thrown in the jail cell with the um, the black guys who'd been protesting. And you know, the cops think like, ah, oh, she's going to be scared putting in there with the black guys. And she's like, no, I'm just going to interview them. Like people I came here to talk to. And then you know, Superman <laughs> breaks them out after the cops lie to Clark Kent. And like, I just you know, he did all these. Nice little touches to really put you in the time and place of the 60s. I, I didn't I wasn't alive in the 60s, but this felt, you know, authentically set in that time. Oh, he was at least very, in the DC universe. Yeah, he, I think he was very much hitting on a lot of things and understood the time period, you know, I guess as well as somebody could who wasn't there. Um, and then I just I kind of like how it came to I, can't, I like I like how it came together at the end um, where, you know, you have this sort of proto Justice League and they're kind of like, OK, what's next? And. Um, this is, this is maybe a weird one and it, and I liked the art. I thought the art matched the tone of the book really well. And then I have this weird thing with like, I know, I know they try to keep Superman as apolitical as possible, but I like that when the comics are, have Superman being really anti-nuclear weapon, because that's a thing Christopher Reeve was super into. And that's why Superman mm -hmm. four, he was a co-writer on. And I know that script and movie isn't very good, but I like when they give little nod to like this thing that sure. our, you know, my favorite actor who played Superman actually was very passionate about. And so I liked Superman just grabbing all the nukes out of the sky and <laughs> putting them on a crater on the moon and be like, yeah, no more nukes for you children. Well, I think that also, you know, this is one of those echoes of, of then today is that, you know, that is the real menace of the time. There were no supervillains, but the real sort of, uh, you know, um, existential threat was nuclear weapons and how close they came to it. And, and they, they keep hitting on that here. And it makes sense if, you know, if he's a humanist or whatever, like that's the worst thing to happen. He's seen a world destroyed. And I don't even, I, I don't even right. understand why we would consider that to be political, even though it is, but also, you know, the other side of it is like, what feels more relevant to right now? Like, is well, I mean, when you have like, when you have like Lex and the generals talking about how, like, if we launch all our nukes and two Americans are left alive and one Russian is left alive, then we win. And I'm like, that's a horrible at outlook on things and i also thought it was then cool he, that they he, had he hits um, it with he hits it with the mark russell there then one guy goes yeah if one of them's a woman woman and i was like Oof. uh one, one of the things i liked is that um I, i'm a big fan of mark russell i don't think everything he does goes out of the park uh but he, sometimes he's able he's a, he is able to he always kind of sounds like mark russell but he can adjust what kind of mark russell we're at here and i think that this was the perfect mark russell for this story there's not really many jokes per se like he's used to doing like he'll do you know side uh characters saying stuff to sort of give you context and break you out of that you know it's it's uh slightly um metatextual you know it's postmodern it's, it's in that silly way. but none of the characters are like caricatures yeah, but, but there's a there's a silly level that he notches up 
you know, depending on what story you're reading, like if you went back to the Red Sonia run that he had, like the villain was very silly, but yes. most of the scenes Red Sonia weren't. And and he rides that knob really well. But in this, I think he did it just right. It wasn't like there was just a hint of satire in the background. But for the most part, it was straightforward. Um, and, and a guy who has that sort of moral center is very good at Superman. That's just yeah. a, that's just a fact. And man, I you, you're right. Like this look, it's so weird because it looks like a Mike Allred book, but it's better for me. And it fits the, you know, this doesn't look like um, ecstatics. Like just or whatever that is that it ecstatic yeah those, yeah I think it yes. just doesn't have that uh, uh, psychedelic feel it it looks like him but it's it's grounded in this time and in, instead of being wrong for it it's perfect for it and I can't and the the color is great you know Laura Allred is always coloring for him that's not unusual but it's just I don't know man that like all these pieces came together and they're beautiful and then there's also just like in the background maybe it's because I've never liked his style so much but. The technical drawing and the way that things are is better than I expected from him. And I don't know that that's, that's, that's not fair, but there's a bit where like Clark pulls an old wooden ship like out of the, out of the Arctic Ocean and, and like, that's a great drawing of a ship. And you know, the, <laughs> the rooms that they're in and, and the, the, the people's faces and, and like there's a, there's a story where the guys who were protesting at the lunch counter at the Woolworth, the, the black men, uh, they, they had a big Chinese uh, uh, lunch before because they knew they wouldn't be able to eat for a while because they'd be taken to jail and not treated well or whatever. And like the drawing of the of the Chinese place is awesome. It made me want to eat there. Yeah, it did. And it, and it also like it's like the Chinese people accepted us so we could go eat there, which wasn't even said, but it's there. It's in the text, you know, mm-hmm. without without saying it. And I just you know that like it's almost like oh yeah, at certain places like the Chinese restaurant is the sanctuary because they're also treated badly. Also, it should be it should be noted that Josh and I have a long history of discussing which fictional restaurants we would like to eat at. So that is I want it on record that I want to eat at that Chinese restaurant. Same. Oh, totally. Same. They're standing around. They're proud of the food. The guys are all at a big table. Looks like a good time. It's going to be impossible to split the checkup. Actually, no, they paid with cash for things back then. So it should be okay. Anyway, are there further thoughts? (laughs) No, I think that that about wraps up. Would this have been your pick or I'm pretty sure. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Well, I, I speaking really of um, really interesting, fun, retro comic experiments, Ant-Man number one, which was uh, written by Al Ewing and art by Tom Riley, colors by Jordi Belair, great colors in this book, and letters by Corey Pettit. Uh, this was close. This was <laughs> this was a lot of fun. So I had, when I, when I started this, I had ideas and expectations, uh, and it was that I saw a new Ant-Man book, and I thought, oh, cool. I don't really know what's going on with Ant-Man right now in the Marvel Universe. This will be interesting. And then so my first... Oh, and then the other thing was that um, it's written by Al Ewing, and I, I'm not a huge fan of Al Ewing. I think he starts really well, and then he kind of loses me after a while. He's a little like Kieran Gillen in that way. I feel like they're from the same school. Oh, definitely, uh, I, yeah. I'm not willing to go so far as to be like, it's not good, but I tend to not like it after a little while. And it's just that's just my, my preference. So I thought, all right, well, we'll see how that could go either way. And then I, I started it, and I was thrown because I did not expect it to be a throwback retro kind of, you know, 60s Hank Pym as Iron Man story. Oh, really? And the cover? I felt like the cover, if anything, yeah. I was thrown by the the prologue that isn't that, and I was expecting what the book actually was. Right, and then it's true, the prologue, I was like, oh, I'm out, because it was all this, like, arch sci-fi comic book gobbledygook that I don't love. 
Nah, the cover just, I mean, I just think some people draw like that. So I didn't, it didn't really, I thought it was a great image, but I didn't really lock down that it was the old school suit, which totally makes sense. But either way, um, as I kept reading through it, I found myself, I, I was, I, at first I thought, I don't like this. And then when I was like halfway through it, I was like, actually, this is, I'm really enjoying this. Like it, it, it reversed its, itself on me, I think. I was, um, I was looking forward to this just based off the cover. Uh, and then it really started getting me when it's when it was Ant-Man alone against the ant agonists. And I was like, oh, that's good. I like that. <laughs> I shouldn't, but I do. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I like Hank Pym is such an interesting character. I mean, obviously, he's forever uh, stained by his own narrative actions that take place in the future of this particular story. But I like that, you know, you can't really tell an Ant-Man story without also confronting the idea that like Hank Pym kind of sucks and is kind of a jerk and you know isn't as smart as some of the other big brains in the Marvel universe but is smart enough to really get himself into a lot of problems mm -hmm. and I thought that was interesting I really love when a story like this is told where the stuff they're pulling from like all these weird silly villains that Hank is up against like the window washer actually have a reference from the you know from the 60s that they're pulling from I think mm -hmm. that's so cool. And I love it now that, you know, with Marvel Unlimited, it literally means you can go grab that issue as soon as you're done with this and go see that original uh, appearance of, of these really obscure characters that they're pulling from to tell these stories. I just, I think it's, I don't know. I think it's neat. I, um, yeah. What's interesting about Hank Pym is that I don't think he has a consistent personality. I don't think that like every time he shows up, he's whatever the writer needs him or wants him to be. And it's funny because there's that quote unquote stain on his in on his you know his uh, background, and that really has nothing to do with like people treat him like he's a real person. Yeah, but he did this, and it's like he's not real. That was a decision one writer made that sticks with him forever, and it was a bad decision. But yeah. it's interesting that it was done at a different time in the context of that thing. And listen, domestic abuse, beating up anybody, whatever, is terrible, but it's not a real person. And and the context of that story at the time had a different meaning than it would now. Like if, if this character did this now, if if he beat up Janet now for any reason, you wouldn't be able to put him in a book. Like that would be it. It's the it's an unforgivable offense. But in the context of this, he did a thing, there was all sorts of reasons for it or whatever, and now we've sort of all moved on from it. Um but we also can't let it go. And I'm like, they just should have never done that. It's just yeah. this it's this conversational eddy that has to happen every time you talk about Hank Pym. And even though you know it's artificial, you know, it's 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 not a real thing. You have to build it into a psyche and it just like it put this mark on this character. Um but at the same time, uh I, I thought I thought um Wanda, I'm not Wanda, Janet was the best uh best thing in this. I I, I really enjoyed her. Well, I guess I'll take care of this stuff. You know, and uh, and being uh, uh, effective and uh, and looking cool in her '60s outfit. Mm -hmm. I, I thought the this, the Scott Lang cameo was a little. <laughs> it was very wacky. You know, the the coincidences that only happen in these sort of throwbacky uh, Marvel style comics, um, mm -hmm. where you know he she is able to find Hank because Scott Lang is breaking into the building where he's being held, and the music that is being played by this villain. Um, the malicious music of Trago. Uh, he, he can hear once the window is open and she's like, oh, they must have soundproofed until that burglar, Jimmy the Lock. And she flies up and she says, now, listen up, second story man. Don't keep robbing people. And she like kisses him on the nose and then flies away. And it's just like, this is so weird. But I enjoyed it. 
And then he has a great, he has, that tears at Mr. Scott Lang. It's time to move back to Florida, <laughs> which is a lot of things in one yes. thought balloon. It's, it's, he does the thing that like in the sixties, these characters constantly refer to themselves at, in their, mm-hmm. by their full names or by their nicknames. So he does that. And then it's like moving back to Florida. Well, don't go to Florida. That's not <laughs> what superheroes are from Florida. This doesn't make sense. Um, yeah, yeah. It had all that stuff. I forgot a thing. Uh, you know what? I'll bring it up when we talk about the other thing. But uh, this is only four issues, so I think that that bodes well. It, it's not going to get too lost or meander around. I did. I yeah. did find myself thinking though, like, oh, I kind of was ex- for some reason I was expecting a modern Ant Man story, and I was kind of I was kind of like, oh man, I don't get that. I still don't know what's going on with Ant Man right now. Like, I think the last mini series. I'm trying to remember who wrote it, but it was really good. I enjoyed it, so I was looking forward to more. Yeah, and they said, you know, it looks like they're going to jump around the different people who have been Ant-Man, and the next issue is Eric O'Grady, who was never a a character that I connected with um, when Kirkman, I think it was Kirkman created. Yeah, it was. And he's the black ant now. He's a bad guy now. Yeah, but I don't know know what this next issue... It's going to be, I think it's going to be set during Secret Invasion. So, Mm. we'll see. Hmm. The art was great. I, I didn't mention that, by the way, but there's there's bits in here where it's just perfect. And and Jordi Belair, you know, like found exactly the way to do it. Um, I really liked the villains, the way that they looked in this. And everybody's clothing is like the superhero clothes are kind of baggy. They're not super tight or. Yeah, um, it was good. It's cool. It's great. Um, really enjoyed it. Public domain number two. I was like, I can't believe you put this on here. And then I was like, I think I put it on here. It's true. Right, any chance you're reading this one? Yes, we talked about the first issue when I was on, and um, I actually missed it in downloading my books this uh, week. And so when you put it on the script, I was like, "Ooh, issue two came out!" So I grabbed it yeah. and read it. And I kind of uh, didn't notice it until the last second either. Um, yeah, you're on the cycle where you come back, and it's the next issue of the book you talked about last time. Which is I feel like we got sometimes it's fine. Yes, I, most of the time it's fine. But it, yeah, there. Anyway, the point is, oh my god, this book is really frustrating. <laughs> In a good really? way, because yeah, it's good, but like the the it's the characters are behaving in realistic ways that realistic people do stupid things that are obviously going to backfire, and especially this Miles character, and it's annoying uh-huh. the crap out of me. <laughs> I'm like, dude, will you just like find a, even a little bit of chill and just stop making it worse? All so you've done this whole book is make it worse. The ball being ball being self righteous. The yes. the main thing here is that Chip Zdarsky is doing a story which any comic book. Uh, historian, I'll say, is very familiar with, and that is that uh, his father co-created as a, as a writer in the or as an artist for you know Marvel or DC, whatever it is. It's not real. Uh, in the uh, '60s or '70s, co-created a character who is now a huge uh, movie and property IP uh, juggernaut, and his kids are like, you should own this. There's not, there, you're not getting anything from this. And the dad's like, whatever, it's cool. You know, I knew what I was doing. You know, I, I just like the people enjoy it, you know. But you're talking about millions and millions and millions and billions of dollars that he's got no part in and his kids are incensed by it. And then at the end of the last issue, we find out that there is documentation to prove that he does in fact own it, which they're very specious on, which I think is the good move because anything would sound silly if we just we just talk about a thing as, as a fact. This old contract, Um and it, it sort of goes from there. And we, we and what we spend most of this issue learning about is the motivations of the people involved. Uh, you know, like where the dad is coming from and his not really worrying about where the kids are coming from and that they are. And then they're like, we're actually with the one son and then versus the other son who's much more chill about the thing, but also, you know, recognizes that there's some sort of, there's something wrong here. And then the wife is completely silent through the whole thing until she finally 
pops up and starts talking about, which I thought was really interesting. It was so good. You know, yeah, the, I was I was the, really glad the she Roz got a, a Kirby. Yeah, I was glad she got to have a perspective and a point of view that was her own and that was valid, that acknowledged the the difficulties that his that the father sort of just workaday attitude put her through. Um, like yeah. the fact that, you know, he worked through his son's childhood to and, and missed out on a lot for this character that he helped create that now he's not even getting the benefits of having created. And it's it's unclear to the, the degree to which she's pissed at him for not getting it right back in the day, or it's unclear if she's, you know, suggesting that he does need to fight for this character. But basically she says her, her, her sort of log line is um, you need to fight for your creations. And she's referring to both public domain or the character, the domain and his two sons. And I thought that was a really poignant uh, way to phrase that conversation. Yeah. And I, I think that there's a, there's a bit of a turnaround where you're seeing the dad from his perspective and from his son's perspective, you know, and he's he seems like a pretty chill dude, you know, and you're like, well, OK, so his perspective is, you know, like I can't fret about the things I don't own, you know, or that were wrong, but, you know, how I was wrong. I think the, the dad also recognizes that if he picks a fight with this company, like he's had a good relationship with this company. They invite him to the premieres. They, right. you know, give him surface level acknowledgement for the work that he did. And if he picks a fight with them, he's risking probably some personal business relationships that he still has fond feelings towards and he's probably not going to win like he's, he's gonna you know if, if he wins this fight it's going to be protracted it's going to be messy it's going to be things are going to you know it's going to be hurtful mm-hmm. it's going to cost a lot of money so like i think he's scared to pick the fight because he knows it's going to be a real fight but and i don't blame also i don't blame him she, for that but but she points sorry. out the fact that like he only no it's okay like he's only he only goes halfway with all these things and it's, so mm-hmm. there's another side to his uh, um, ambivalence about stuff is like she's like you just worked I did everything you weren't you didn't spend time with the boy you know you 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 thought that was enough and and right and everything like basically like his life this is maybe this is like his life is a series of half measures you know like he does the thing he's good at he doesn't want to think about any of the other things and and therefore he's left not just himself but others in a worse position than they would be in man and as a dad I was like oh that's uh and I've like, seen I've seen this with people in my own life where it's like they are really good at the thing that they're good at. And when it comes to the business side of that, because, you know, every industry has a business side of it, like that's where they just don't have the capacity or or aptitude or knowledge or giving a shit. And that's where they end up getting screwed. That That's me. Um, I mean, like literally, I've 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 been through that thing, you know, and part of it is it, it's just it's it's a really interesting thing. If you've ever read about um jack kirby or 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 neil adams uh, you know on sort of jack kirby's behalf one of the fascinating things about jack kirby is that this is kind of what he was like you know he it's a little different because he he wanted to he was so worried that he would lose the immediate work that he had by by protecting um you know by not going after the companies this story is a little different from a different era but the whole time you're, you're left wondering like why is jack not standing up for himself yeah, like when you read his history, that's one of the sad things about it is that he never valued himself to that extent that he should have until later, and then by that point he made him so angry that he wasn't that effective. This is a different story, but if you've read that, this rings with that. And I just, I am so impressed by Chip Zdarsky. I mean, this is this is I could I would read this as a novel. Like yeah. I I I would like the characterization is so strong, and you know the fact that he's a comic book artist. 
Yeah. And the thing that I said I was super frustrated with the, the Miles character, the angry son, is he goes to corporate. He goes to, it's called Singular is the name of this Marvel style company and picks a fight with the, you know, editor in chief. And the editor in chief knows him because, you know, he's known him since he was a kid because he worked with his dad. So he's very friendly with him at first. But then Miles starts trying to throw his weight around and shows that he's got this contract. And the guy immediately calls him out on it and says, like, you're trying to take credit for your dad's hard work, too. Like, it's not we're not the only company. We're not the only party in this conversation who's trying to take credit and get something from somebody else's hard work. It's just and it's both it, your dad and both the these axes of taking control. And so he calls him on it and he basically tells him he's being a jerk and asks for a copy of the contract. And Miles says, no, I'm not going to send that to you yet. So he just whips out his phone and takes a photo and then has Miles thrown out. And I was like, yeah, how did you think that was going to go, you doofus? And then I thought, I was reading this and I thought, the moment where the guard, where Miles says, like, do you really have to be like literally throwing me out right now? And the guard just says, yeah, this is the only part of my job I enjoy. And then just tosses him <laughs> into the street and says, thank you. I, I I knew you would be laughing at that. I was like, that is such a joke for for someone like Josh sensibilities, I think. So good. Just, yeah. I, I think uh, the other thing, I mean, I liked there's a realistic thing about that editor in chief character is that he walks in, he's happy, he's smiley, he's glad handing. That's the thing you don't get to that position and stay in it without being able to turn it on the other side and having that charge of ruthlessness yeah 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 and that that switch and and you know some people might be like oh that's you know i was like that is a real thing that is a you know i know people i know people in comics i know very successful people in comics and they have that and i don't know that it makes them evil but it makes them formidable and that tells you a lot and i and then I, I love that the son, like, I know you said it was frustrating, but I love that the son, he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know no. how to do anything. He doesn't know how anything works. He's some self, he's, he's one step away from being a self-righteous person on the internet. And I like that's that. great because his his dad comes by after he gets thrown out of the building and says, were you in there applying for a job? Cause I still know some folks in there. And I was like, you know, <laughs> it's like, you're just not handling this correctly on any level. No. But, because I mean, you're angry and scared. But also, it's, it's about humans versus a giant corporation and how yeah. you can't win. You know, or uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. Anyway, I, I love it. I have a theory. I have a theory. Go ahead. I think I think the dad's going to get the rights to the character back and he's going to make it public domain. I think it's in the title. Oh. That's, that's my theory. I had, that, I had that thought while thinking about the book and wondering if it, it was close. I mean, it was also a pick of the week contender, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. This it, book is excellent. Over to Janice Vell, Captain Marvel number one. We have a story here written by Peter David, who is uh, in a Peter David essence, um, with art by Juanan Ramirez, color by Federico Blee, and uh, letters by Ariana Mar. I think when you have a new Peter David story, it can go any way. And we have this version of Captain Marvel who's sort of from the... 90s maybe late 80s early two, also. No, early 2000s he was in he was in avengers forever this first he wasn't avengers so forever know. but then after avengers forever peter david had like a four volume run on this character uh, using this character with just uh, this character was, well this character and rick genesville and rick jones right, right, right and that was actually one of the series that first got me back into comics uh oh. as a as like a regular reader so that was why i was really excited to see that this character is getting a little bit of a renaissance and one uh, it's why i moved it from the short section to the long section so, well, then, then, then you must have been looking forward to this. I was looking forward to this. This was and one of the first books deliver? I read this week. 
Uh, it was good, but it was it was a little more setup-y than I was hoping. Um, I'm, I, I sure. feel like I'm still waiting to figure out what the story is going to be. So essentially, the this version of, of Captain Marvel is the cloned son of Captain Marvel, who you did the death of Captain Marvel, of who's like one of those characters that the, their, the story of their death is almost more important than anything the character did while they're alive, which I think is the reason that the character is still dead. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't, I, 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 because I haven't gone back to reread that book, which I have read, I haven't listened to the, the book explode you guys did on it yet. So I don't know. You probably covered all that um, in that book explode. So this is his cloned son who was impl- artificially aged up into adulthood with implanted false memories. And then he gets these mega bands, which are like these wristbands that he wears that um, when he slaps them together, he does a body swap with Rick Jones and it does like a, shaz- shaz- a very Shazam-esque yep. sound effect to kind of mimic that Captain Marveliness uh, of it all. So it's sort of a Firestorm relationship where they swap places, but, you know, the, the psyche of Rick Jones can kind of hover over Genesville and talk to him while he's in the main world doing the main stuff. And then Rick Jones is in the microverse. And they did a whole series where, like, Genesville refused to slap the Nega Bands together. So Rick Jones was living in the microverse for months, if not years, and, like, started a band and became, like, a popular rock star. And so... Um, this book has the capacity for it, or at least when Peter David is writing these two characters, it has a capacity for big, wacky sci-fi stuff. And it's sort of getting there with this first issue. It didn't quite, um, give me enough to, to, uh, know exactly what's going on. And then the last page was surprising to me because the character revealed on the last page is not a character that I thought had any previous relationship with Janice or Rick Jones. So I'm surprised and uh, i don't know how like legitimately and i don't know if i'm interested or annoyed that they're i don't know i don't know how i feel about the the reveal at the end so i hadn't read most of that i was familiar with a lot of this i wasn't i wasn't like whoa this all happened like i, I kind of knew we did a, we did avengers forever i've seen the characters pop i don't know why Janice vell looks like he does now with like a weird ponytail mullet um, he definitely has looked weird. like that before. I can't remember in what context, but that it has been a look that he has had. I think that's now, though. Is it? It is. It's now. So, like, this is his modern interpretation, which is weird. When he's got, says. like, the blue skin with the stars and stuff, that's when his cosmic awareness is online. Yeah. And the the main inciting incident in Peter David's run on this character in the early 2000s is that having cosmic awareness, if you're not, like, if you're not powerful enough to control what that does to you, like a Silver Surfer, Norrin Rad. If you're Janus Fell, this clone with fake memories who's a kid, essentially, the cosmic awareness just drove him insane. Like, right. actually insane. So he's not a mentally stable person, and I think, or being. So I think that's something to keep in mind as we watch the events unfold here. Well, in any case, uh, you know, I, I thought this, you said it was mostly set up, but I needed that, and it. I thought I did a really good job of it. I think it's one of those things that... Um, veteran comic book people people who wrote in the 80s had that skill to be like here's where we are because they had to do it every issue and that's gone now um but peter david's really good at it and you know like peter david has been doing some amazing stuff lately and it's it's interesting because like we thought he was gone like at some point he had a stroke and i thought well that's it and then like over the past he's had like several comebacks like he came back and he did that amazing x-factor multiple man sort of run and then he kind of went away again for a while. Then he comes back and he, you know, he does the, that maestro prequel and, he, and he's doing like this kind of stuff. And it's really fun, you know, to just have a guy who is from an earlier era, but can just 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 write great writer, you know, can tell these sort of long form comic book stories. You know, I, I, I wasn't sure how this would go. And uh, it turns out I, I really I really enjoyed it. It's sort of everything Marvel-y 
of this kind of Marvel, this Captain Marvel Marvel, this, you know, yeah. later than than the initial one. And, you know, Rick Jones, it's funny because Rick Jones is, is I, I forget, I don't remember where he is in the Marvel Universe now. If you, yeah, if you and Connor ever wanted to go back and do one of the early 2000s Peter David volumes of this character's run for a book explode, I would be all over that. <laughs> yeah, and then, the, yeah, the, the villain reveal at the end uh was unexpected for me and i don't know what to make of it either i don't like when they pull out the big bads anymore though because it's just like we, we spend enough time i'm just gonna tell you because it's easier than not but thanos shows up at the end and i just feel like thanos like joker like dr Do- well, not dr doom but um you know they've been explored and been present so often lately i don't there's nothing else i'm interested about like like donny cates did that thanos wins thing and it was fantastic let Thanos hang out for a while. Like I don't need him. And then a lot of yeah. times it's like it's fake Thanos or it's baby Thanos or it's past Thanos or whatever. Like I just I've had enough of him. Uh we're good. You did it. You you covered that. Uh because I'm a person who doesn't always pay attention to what's happening. Uh, <laughs> I I just thought Connor was going to be on the show with us this week, so I went ahead and put Batman One Dark Knight book number 3. Uh this is the Black Label book being done by Jock with uh, letters by Clem Robbins. This was the third of three, so this is the end of the story, and I didn't know... Uh, had you guys talked about this book at all? I think Connor read the first one. I had had a week where I was out, and it was one of the books that came out, and I asked him, I was like, well, how was it? And he goes, it's okay. And so I never read it. Um, I, at one point, I would have called Jock my favorite artist in comics, and I, I still love what he does, but it's not my favorite kind of storytelling anymore. Um, so I just never read it. I just... like If he'd said, oh my god, it's great, I'd have done it, but otherwise... It's a story where there's this character called EMP who is sort of like Electro can absorb radiation from the surrounding environment and then explodes because he can't control it. And they're trying to transfer him from Arkham because they have like an old out-of-date facility at Arkham and a brand new facility at Blackgate. And it's a very much sort of... Um, it's like the uh, the scene in Dark Knight where they're trying to transport Harvey Dent mixed with The Raid. I don't know if you ever saw The Raid. That um, Possibly. That Sing- Gareth Edwards, Singapore cop fight to the nope. it's the it's very similar to carl Orban's dread where they got you got to fight to the top of the tower right but instead of fighting the top of the tower they're fighting their way across gotham and so it's all about like the different gangs that have different controls of different parts of the city and the power's getting knocked out and the the woman running the prison system is super corrupt and and really mean and batman it's like batman against this entire city of goons and henchmen and it was like it was a propulsive story it was kind of engaging in the like it's a it's a really tough slog slash puzzle for Batman to solve. Like, how do I get across the city when there's no power, when all I've got is what's on my utility belt? I can't talk to Alfred. I can't use any of my vehicles. And it's, so it's just dragging this guy uh, bodily through the city. And it was it was good and it was well done. But like the way that Jock built the stakes, I almost had a hard time believing that even Batman could figure this one out. Because it's like there's just so he's got to be so tired and there's so many people he's fought and he's taken on Killer Croc fist for fist. And it's like even Batman's got to have limits. This guy must be tired. So it almost strained when, credulity of, of what Batman's capable of. When you said though, he's just got to get across this, the city. And I was like, Oh, you can do that. That's what I thought when you said it. So they must've raised the stakes pretty well. Then if you're thinking, I thought they did, I thought they did a nice job. Um, I always think that Batman is like, you have to, you don't have to believe in, you don't have to build in disbelief with the character because it should be part of it. You should, you should just go, Oh, he's a, uh, He's Batman. He'll be fine. He'll win. He always wins. There's no, there's no question about that. So then it's just how much stuff you stack against him. 
It's funny right, using, the, a- using dread, you know, because I have seen that, um, is a very good example of that thing. And I like that model. Yeah, it's, but I, I just think, you know, if Jock actually built stakes and a, and a challenge for Batman that I actually believed would be difficult and like something that he would actually have to struggle to succeed at. And obviously he, he does win. He is Batman. But I thought it was interesting that, you know, Jock, who's known more for his art than his writing, was able to create a story that actually had stakes that I was like, man, I actually have a hard time believing Batman's still going. And of course he is. But, you know, it, that I thought was interesting. Um, but I agree with, you know, Connor's original assessment. This wasn't amazing, but uh, um, I'm, I'm glad I read it. It was it's interesting. So I just want to touch on it ever so ever so briefly. Ever Are so you briefly. still sticking with... I hate this place with Kyle, I am. Kyle Stark's I, uh, latest offering. I, I like Kyle Stark's an awful lot. This isn't my favorite kind of story, but it, it's, is, uh, it's kept me uh, hooked enough uh, to keep going. And I, and I have no idea where it's going to go. So I, I find it. If we, uh, we, do, we have a li- do we have a list anywhere of um, Kyle Stark's being the best at naming characters in comics? Because this issue introduces Dante Howitzer. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I, once he came up with fuck Tarkington, it didn't really matter. Everything after that was gravy. So, I mean, and that's the thing. I, I think the thing that I like the most about Kyle Starks is that he's always int- introducing interesting characters and they are like fully formed. Like they have a background. They come, even if they're wacky, like it's not just a look at this weird thing. There's substance that's sort of been built in behind it. And the same thing. Um, what did you say his name was? Dante Howitzer. Dante Howitzer. Same thing, like, shows up, and it could be a one-note kind of joke character, but he has a history. He's got a thing that makes him valid and relevant instead of a one-note joke, as did fuck Tarkington, for that matter. You know, yeah. and all those characters in Assassination, and all those characters in the um, the six sidekicks of whatever his name was, who also had a great name. Trigger Keaton. Um, Trigger Keaton. Like, he's amazing at that. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, so I thought I thought that character was really well introduced. You know, he basically says like, yeah, I have a ghost hunting TV show, but like that's that's how I make my money. Like th- you've shown me a ranch full of ghosts. This one's for me. This is just I'm just going to do this one for me. No, and he says, this is my Jurassic Park. And I was like, that's perfect. That is such a good line to tell us where this character is coming from. You know, it's he's Dr. Yeah. Alan Grant and he's having this moment where he's like the thing I've been thinking about and working on my whole life. And now I can see it for the first time. And that, that's that's amazing. So, so they hire this ghost hunter and they basically, you know, he, uh, they, they tell him sort of what's going on and he's like, well, you know, it sounds like you got more than ghosts. You got like orbs and UFOs and stuff like that. He's like, I'm only a ghost hunter. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to do this one at a time. Like you deal with the ghosts. Then like, if you can recommend a UFO hunter, that would be great. <laughs> like that's, that's such a good, I love it. Um, you know, obviously it's a trope in horror fiction, like characters behave stupidly, which we all do when we're scared or freaked out or in an unfamiliar situation. So I do like it when, at least in the early part of a horror story, characters are making smart decisions and you're like, well, mm-hmm. if they're, if things go according to plan, which we know they won't, this actually isn't a bad way to be handling this particular situation. So I appreciate no. that in these characters. And it's really easy to lean into the stereotype of like the guy who shows up who seems silly is incompetent, but we're trusting him because there's no one else to trust. And this, this worked against that. This was like, no, no, this person is actually very competent as much as one is able to be in this, you know, strange situation. Yeah. So then the issue ends with them encountering one of the beings that they were told under no circumstances should you ever encounter. And uh, we'll see where it goes from there. Chekhov's being over at Marvel. They are continuing their wonderful Renaissance of old timey comics. 
um, with Larry Hama's Wolverine patch number four. And uh, I've I read this like on a lark, the first issue, and then I've kept up with it. It's become one of those things that I really look forward to, and I can't fully explain why. It's just that it's a comic from a different time, and it's, you know, there's just something they did back then was they just threw everything at the wall. And and Larry Hama, you know, is, is you know, 80s Marvel to the core. He's done amazing and great comic books. Basically, this is like the Wolverine comic that everybody's ever wanted. He just kills a shitload of people. He just runs through the jungle and he destroys all the bad guys for the whole thing. He's, a lot of people get killed in like the Wolverine. Like it's the, it's the thing that Wolverine talks about all the time. But here it is. He does it. And it's not really in continuity. Or maybe it is. It doesn't matter. Um, but uh, I was like, oh, this is this is like core Wolverine. Like he's he's avenging uh, good people, you know, against against evil people. And he's using his claws, and it's it's very silly. And then at the end, he's going to put a white tuxedo back on and put his patch on. And I've just enjoyed it uh, to no end. Well, that's great. I didn't get on issue one, and so I've not been keeping up with this story, but it does sound like something I would enjoy if I were to go back and check it out. Yep. Uh, we're doing the Star Wars corner, huh? Star Wars corner! I thought, I, I thought Connor was going to be here. I thought we could annoy him, but... Uh, so yeah, this was just me trolling Connor, but here I am talking to Josh. Uh, so this is Obi-Wan number three story by Christopher Cantwell. So that's one of the reasons that I thought this was worth checking out in the, when I saw the first issue. Plus we're kind of in an Obi-Wan-a-sense, I think. Um, we got we? that, got that program on uh, the old they Disney They want Plus. us to be. Yeah. But... I mean, I'm so charmed by Ewan McGregor that like, I'll, I'll give him a pass. If he wants to keep being Obi-Wan, I'll keep watching him be Obi-Wan. You know what? Why don't you watch Long Way Around instead? I haven't, I haven't seen that. What's that? Oh my God. It's his, he's got a series of documentaries that he did with his friend, uh, Charlie Borman, where they, uh, 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 rode motorcycles. There's three of them. And the first one, long way round, they basically rode motorcycles around the world. Oh, uh, and then yeah, there was that long sounds like way something I would enjoy. Down where they drove from the top of Scotland to the very bottom of Africa. And then they just did long way up where they drove from, um, farthest South, South America to Los Angeles. Um, now, do the producers a, give them a series of challenges? No, no. I mean, like the thing itself was enough of a challenge, but it's them going back to, and just being like super charming and they're really good friends. And there's it's they're great. They're wonderful. Oh, yeah. Like, documentary check stories. That out. and the show was terrible and garbage. It didn't need to happen. Um, it wasn't even that it was bad. It was just that it was completely unnecessary. But that is a conversation for a different time that I'm not going to have here. I read the first issue of Obi-Wan because of Christopher Cantwell. I didn't make it any further than that. So why are we talking about it? Uh, because I'm still reading it. I couldn't tell you why it's, you know, Obi-Wan is preparing for a sandstorm on Tatooine. So he's kind of reminiscing on experiences he's had. And this issue is uh, him as a general in a battle during the Clone Wars and just having sort of an, it's similar to um, Paul Kent, just sort of in, in the first book we talked about, The Space Age, having a existential crisis about the point of war and why all these clones are dying against a droid army and what's, what are they even doing here? Why am I a Jedi? Why am I a monastic monk leading an army? And I don't know. I, I mean, just very similar to how I felt while watching uh, Star Wars Episode Two. I mean, it's almost exactly the same way. Why am I here? What is the point of this? And I think it it, it it's interesting to me the way that the sort of I don't I don't want to get into a whole discussion, but it's interesting to me the way that the prequels have been sort of retconned. Not even that they've changed the story, but like people's interpretations seems to be, oh, but you know, subtextually, it, we were supposed to be realizing that the Jedi Order were no good because they gave up on their monastic ways to be the generals of armies. Like, I really don't think 
that that was there in the in the original text or subtext. I think that's you're patching you're patching a hole in what was a kind of clunkily told story. Um, and some of these comics and some of the, the yeah are exploring it maybe a little better or at least in a way I find a little more authentic to the characters. Um, yeah, it's so interesting because if you if you spend any time reading about or thinking about George Lucas, like there's no subtext. There isn't. It's not a thing he does. It's not, you know, he's going to put you in a place and give you a mood and do an adventure or whatever. But I, I don't feel like there's a lot of metaphor going on there. Right. There's like when people say like, like, like when people say like, oh, but like you watch, it's like Vietnam. I was like, yes, that's very obvious. Like it's not, it's not subtle that like <laughs> what he's doing there. Yeah. There's, there's, there's influences. There's like, oh, I want this to be like this samurai movie, but there's not subtext. There's well, not, there's the I, whole thing. There, there's the whole thing where like the original trench run he cut that together using footage from World War II movies. So he was like, yeah, then the, then the X-Wings are going to fly like this. So like he had it down like shot for shot using other people's footage because he knew he wanted it, what he wanted it to feel like. He was just going right. to do it with spaceships. Now, because of that blankness, and I say this as a person who, you know, you, if you listen to this, you know that I'm, I'm, I know Star Wars. I like Star Wars. I think because of that blankness, you were able to overlay a lot of what it is you wanted to see in it. Yeah. And we've been doing that ever since it's part of the reason it's got legs because it's a, it's, it's a rich text because it's got a lot of different pieces and influences and things going on, but it's open mm. enough to interpretation that people can find what they want in it. Right. Cause I don't think there actually is an underlying except for this here. weird thing of like, maybe the empire was fine. Like I'm not okay with that. That's <laughs> like Disney building hotels where I pretend to be an Imperial officer. Nah, I'm good. Pass. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't need to cosplay Nazism. Yeah, so. I just, I just, I mean, the thing that bugged me about the Obi-Wan show is, like, he had been completely denuded, and I was like, I don't, and I don't mean that in, like, some, like, masculine, like, oh, he's not a man anymore kind of thing. I just mean that, like, I, I tend to think of him as being, you know, he's the guy who comes in and saves the stuff and, and does the right thing because he's good at it, and and the show was all like, oh, I'm sad, and I was like, I don't need to see anybody else sad right now. Yeah, it's weird that an arc they've taken characters on multiple times, or at least for, you know, force using characters on multiple times, is like, if they get sad enough, they can't use the force anymore. And I'm like, when was that ever a thing? Like, why is the force a muscle that they have to, like, flex often enough to still be able to use? Or is I mean, like, I do you want to talk about subtext? How many stories are being written now about men who feel like they, they're losing things because they're impotent? I don't mean impotent in the in the erectile sense. I just like their power like, in society all, is waning. That's. Well, not even, I mean, yes, but it's, it's not like, it's like this imposter syndrome that all of the writers and creators who are dudes have keep going. Like that's what has Thor been for years? I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm not sure. You know, Oh, my dad. Like, Mjolnir's getting heavy. And I don't want to sound like, like the people who are like men are everybody's against men in society. You can't be masculine. Cause that's stupid. That's not what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about a self-assuredness. That is not male nor female. That is like, oh, no, this is a capable person who's done lots of things in the past, and I don't need to see them doubt themselves. I know what doubting yourself feels like. I would like to see what being competent and effective is. You know, in a, in a realistic sense, there's there's stakes and things like that, but there's way too much uh, I'm not sure about myself. And I was like, that's just the writer talking to me over and over and over again that they're not sure about themselves, which I understand, yeah. but, you know, enough. Well, hello there. Hello. Right, I know he's he's got swagger. That was the only thing I liked about the the uh, the prequels is like Obi Wan had some swagger, and I figure eventually he adds wisdom to that, and therefore he becomes more uh, effective. But like this thing in the middle where he's he's like, oh, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't do anything. Like, ugh, I don't want that. 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> but but that's the that's the problem with telling these stories that take place in between two movies where the character has done things and taken actions and those actions have had consequences. It's like, okay, so if you want to tell a story in between those two things, then that There's functionally no means nothing can happen. Right. Yep. We know Leia's not going to die. We know Darth Vader's not going to die. We know Obi-Wan's not going to die. We know Luke's not going to die. Like we know, you know, they 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 try to make us get worried that, you know, these characters that we see 10 years from now are in trouble and it's like I know they're not. Well, that was my problem with Rogue One initially. And I, I had to reframe how I was looking at it. But initially, I was like, well, what was the point? We just literally ended about back where we started, and we met a bunch of people, and they're all dead. Yeah. I had to reframe it and go, all right, let's 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 forget about that part. Let's watch these characters and sort of think, you know, and I, I can enjoy it more because of that, sort of as the thing it is. But as part of a larger thing, it feels like a letdown. It's the same, it's the same thing with Obi-Wan for me. Like, there's a point at the end, I, I know we shouldn't be talking about this because we're talking about the books and we're going long already, but uh, the, the point with Obi-Wan is, is the show is that um, there's a point where he could have killed Vader and ended it, and he didn't mm-hmm. because he couldn't because he's in the other stories. And I was like, well, all of this was for nothing. Yeah. We thought he killed him or whatever, and, I was, and we're like, well, we know he didn't. Like, is that the end of his story? He thought he killed Vader or, I don't know. So the book's okay? Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Let's move along to the patron pick. If you become a patron at iFanboy or patreon.com slash iFanboy and you – wait, this is for the powers. So you get to vote on these. I'll tell you the other part in a second. Um, (laughs) You get to vote on the book that you want us to talk about. Uh, And this week, uh, the big winner wasn't close. Uh, was Superman Space Age Book 1, which you may remember from earlier in the episode, was the pick of the week. Story by Mark Russell. Art by Mike Spike Allred. Uh, Obviously, you liked it. Are you prepared to put a high number to this in terms of ratings? Yes, I am. I would give this probably a... I could go as high as, I think, a... 4.5, 4.75, 4.5, 4.75, maybe? I even? was going to say 4.75. I'm not going to say think, 5. I don't think it's a 5. If I was grading on a curve, it's a 5. But I'm not. I'm trying not to. Um, one thing that I had not mentioned earlier that I think is relevant to this little part of it is that when I got to the end of it, for some reason in my head, I had been like, oh, that was a complete story. And it is. You could stop at the end of this book, and you would have read a nice little 90-page Superman story, and you'd be good to go. So when I got to the end, I was like, oh, there's more. Like it just I just hadn't occurred to me for whatever reason. I was really kind of happy about that. Um, so yes, I will stick with it. I will also stick with it. Cool. That again, that's patreon.com slash iFanboy. You can directly support the show. You can unlock shows for everybody. You can become part of a good community. We have uh Discord. There's a Facebook community, apparently. Uh our next stretch goal is that we will add um something else. We have to re we are we're re-switch up this this the stretch goals. Um, but that'll be a thing. But but so far, I think the stretch goals have worked out for everyone. All the video shows are uploaded. You're getting three or four extra shows a month in addition to this one. I think it's been pretty good. Help keep that up um, as we go through whatever horrific period of history we're in now. Or maybe it's fine. I don't know. Um, you go to ifam.threadless.com. There are 12 designs. You can put them on things. Shirts, perhaps underwear, some kind of underwear you've never even heard of. Uh, other items. I bet there's a notebook. There's masks. There's a skateboard. Shower curtains. These kind of things. I'm very proud of of the designs that we have introduced. 
uh, over the past few years. Very we bright. didn't talk. We didn't talk about it this week in the script, but um, Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 900, mm-hmm. had a um, super adaptoid that had all of the Sinister Six's powers. Mm-hmm. So its costume was part, you know, one sixth yeah. electro. So if one is electro, I don't know what that means for that costume. Oh, green. Okay. <laughs> Go to ifanbo.com slash support where you will find just a PayPal link if you want to make a direct donation to the show because you appreciate it and like it. And then finally, ifanbo.com slash Amazon where you will find links to buy the Booksplodes. You'll find the music. Um, <laughs> I realized that on the last two Booksplodes, I'm sorry, Talksplodes, uh, I used Megadeth on the one before and I used Dio on the most recent one. I didn't mean to do that. But there were reasons. There are reasons. And then there's bookshop.org. We've partnered with them to help out local bookstores, and you'll find the links where you can, but you can use bookshop.org to um, support uh, local bookstores by ordering books from them instead of maybe some other places. And now, if you donate at the $5 or higher level, you will be eligible for a patron power. Now, what will happen now? Today, we have Kiops which sounds like the key operations or the Egyptian god, one or the other, but it's Cheops. Um, Cheops has uh, um, a, 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 a parking precognition. Knows where to go so that there is available and, and free parking that will not be molested by any of the signs. It will fit. It'll know exactly where to go. It's always a space, a convenient space that, that has no, no drawbacks or dangers. Wow. Parking a car. So that, but that also works with other things. It works with boats, bikes, trucks, tractors, those kind of things. And just as a bonus, I've thrown in bathroom precognition. You can always find, a, in addition to be able to finding a place to park, you're also going to be able to find an accessible, uh, clean uh, bathroom. So you're saying this is a person who should, if, if they don't already have a good career, they should consider a career in city planning? Yeah. Well, I mean, either way, should live in the city. They're going to have a great time. Many of the many of the very basic problems of city living would be uh, obviated by this. Uh, we don't have time, but uh, tell, I'll remind me to tell you my lower Manhattan parking story sometime. It's Okey-doke. quite amusing. Um, <laughs> involves a lot of me getting yelled at by old Italian men. Sure. <laughs> uh, Jonathan Holland. I've been thinking about this power for a while. I, I don't know that I have all the details sorted. But Jonathan Holland has the the incredible, immense power and responsibility because he can touch an object and have all effects of gravity canceled for that object. Mm-hmm. So, like, if he touched a chair and turned off the chair's gravity, because Earth is has gravity and is rotating around the sun, the chair would just go flying into the sky well, uh, immediately. Does gravity have... I mean, the thing is, do we understand gravity well enough? to understand the actual ramifications of this. I, I think so. I think a physicist would be able to chart what would be likely to happen. It might have to do with, you know, is it daytime so we're facing the sun versus, you know, is it is it are we facing, like, the direction that Earth is orbiting around the sun, in which case maybe the object burrows into Earth towards, towards Earth's does core. It, and, and does it have enough momentum to be able to do that? That's a good question. I don't and know. Then, well, Earth, then, I think Earth is supplying the momentum and because... Sure. But then yeah. the object would have to be strong enough. Now, now let me ask you this, because I'm not sure, but I think I know the answer. The, 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 the thing that's, that's holding it together at a molecular atomic level is untouched by gravity? Does it, does it maintain its, its cohesion as, a, as an item? Yeah, as that's a mass? good question. It does. It does. Even in, you know, like, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of con- 
it's cohesive to the whole object. So like if you touched a car, it wouldn't just be like the hood piece of that car. It'd be the whole car. Like it, you know, it's the object. Maybe there's some sort of psychic wrapping he does. Um, I thought you were going to ask about like the fundamental physics of how gravity works and like gravitational particles, which I do not believe we've discovered yet. So I think it is, you know, we're a little unclear on exactly how objects having mass uh, creates the space time warping that we experience as gravity that, you know, that's beyond me, but I just know that, Jonathan, if he touches something, he can decide. It's it, it's not like an accident. It's not a oh, Midas okay. touch situation. Right. It's it's it has to be purposeful. But if he touches the paperweight on your desk and decides to cancel that gravity, it's going to go flying in some direction that maybe even he can't predict. But it's going to become a very dangerous object, and he could do it to people, and it would be a very very cruel and painful way to to eliminate that person. So what? you know, it's a it's I mean, a powerful like the, power. What practical use would that be? I don't think there is one. Well, no. I mean. I don't know. If that's where I was trying to figure out if this power wears off. Because like, if the power wears off or, or wears off with the, the, the square uh, or cube of distance, like many of the electromagnetic effects do, then maybe he's like the cheapest way to get things into orbit. I was, that's what I was thinking. Like, But you'd have to be able to put the gravity back on. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe if we've actually built a space elevator, he could just send things up the elevator real quick and then like stop them. Uh-huh. If he yeah. like stood inside the space elevator, maybe that's how he that's how he uses it. Yeah, that's how he uses the power. I've decided uh, he will finally get the the nations of the world to unite and build a space elevator, and he will stand inside the space elevator capsule, and he can turn gravity off on the capsule, and it'll go flying up the space elevator, and then he can turn the the gravity back on. And it'll be in perfect orbit. I like that you were the kind of person who refers to the space elevator as a concept that everybody immediately would know about. Well, sure, yeah, pick up a Neil Stevenson book. Come on, I, no, listen, uh, I I understand when you say space. I was like, yeah, yeah, totally, I get it. But <laughs> I don't think most people would just be like, oh yeah, space elevator. Like, you'd have to at least think about it for a second. I had sure. to think about it for a second. Um, <laughs> you gotta be careful. You don't want that counterweight on the space elevator coming and slamming down into Earth. You've just you've also created a, a very <laughs> dangerous uh, uh, ballistic projectile. <laughs> so if it has no gravity. Does the mass of the object combine with the force like it, it it's the energy that it has by moving its momentum i think so does i think you know, like, like if you turn the gravity on off on a balloon with the balloon shoot away faster than the paperweight i think or slower than the paperweight right. i think yes so yes. like but like say for example earth is spinning yes as it does it's round you, it's not flat. you you have a big enough object that is tethered to the earth we'll just say that whatever that thing is strong aircraft carrier right and and you 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 release that object from from gravity and it start and the and the, it's just right so that it flings off into space but is now effectively towing the earth mm. does that the momentum of that object is it affected by gravity or is that a separate force i think momentum is just velocity and mass right. so i actually don't so i think the so momentum would fuck up the yeah. earth well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Jonathan has an incredible amount of power that he has to use very carefully and very sparingly. Otherwise, he, he could add really... mass. Actually, no. no. I mean, it's not mass. It's gravitational pull, which is effectively the same as adding mass. Well, gravitational you, pull I'm, is a I'm, force. I'm a, I'm a person. So gravitational pull is a force. So, like when we measure when we when we measure pounds here in America, we're actually measuring that. gravitational force. Whereas over in Europe, when they're using grams and kilograms, that's mass. So the two, there is a distinction between. Oh, yeah, I knew um, the difference between mass and weight, but I, I didn't know it was that way. But like, I'm I'm effectively a person who has paid very good attention to Food Network, and I'm talking to a person who is a trained chef. So that's what this conversation is right now, you know. And and uh, but it's, I find I, uh, it fascinating, so I could keep going. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it's it's a scary power. I I I. I 
you know, it's it's difficult when when the when the the muses that inspire the, the powers and, and we're not, you know we're just discovering them. We're not actually making these up. Uh, we're just, just identifying what that power is. Oh sure. No. Sometimes they give you sometimes they give you one that's a little scary. Yeah. So I, I think Keops is the winner in this one. At least, you know, the pe- and the people who are going out with him, they're hanging out. Uh, those are the patron powers. If you want to be part of it, again, uh, patreon.com slash fanboy at the $5 higher level. Uh, keep us in powers to do. Eventually, we're going to, we, we came close to running out, and then we sort of went through the books, and we found the ones that were laying around. We got, we got some more, but we could be at the end of these at some point, and I think that would be very sad for everybody. Except me, obviously. <laughs> All right, let's do, let's do one question. Sure. Uh, Robert I'll, re- Wendt. I'll read it, or you can read it. You do Who it. wants to read it? All right. Robert Went from Parts Unknown. Robert Went is on the lamb, never to be seen or heard from again. Given that nearly any Marvel character seems to be Avengers material, and there are at least three versions of every major hero, what would your ideal six-person Avengers team be? Which version of the hero, if there are multiple, which Hawkeye, Spider-Man, Wolverine, Captain America, etc.? And who would you like to see write it? There's a lot in that question. There is. Uh... Saying a six-person team, so let's see how we can do with it. All right. I think you have to have a Captain America type, but I think it's been overdone, or he's been there a lot. And if I was going to do it, what I would do is take an older, like, adult Hawkeye, post, like, he's come into himself Hawkeye. Not the not not Hawkeye who's, you know, living in the building, but, like, you don't want a himbo. You want to, yeah. Right. I want Thunderbolt Hawkeye, the guy who's gotten past his ego to a certain extent, understands what he has to do, wants to prove himself in a leader, but in the as a leader, but in the good way. So I'm going with Hawkeye. He's my 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 Clint Barton is my leader of the thing. Uh, I'm I'm not a guy who needs a Spider Man or a Wolverine on the Avengers. I, don't think I think they belong we, there. Yeah, I think um, the one mutant I did enjoy seeing on the Avengers was Beast, and I'm a Beast mm-hmm. fan going okay. way back. Uh, but again, Beast is one of those characters where, you know, we were talking earlier about the Obi-Wan-ness of it all, where I feel like they've, every Beast story is like, I'm sad that I'm Beast, and I'm, so I'm going to screw around with being Beast. And I'm like, no, 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 just give me give me a Fine. guy with the crazy 90s Wolverine hair who's like hanging upside down, working in his lab, and who's he's happy that he's glasses. like... glasses. He's, yep, he's a, he's a genius scientist. scientist. Yep. My stars and garters. That's I want I'm that a, era Beast. Yep, I'm down with that. Uh, I'm going to go with She-Hulk. Interesting She-Hulk choice. So that's our, that's our heavy... Yeah, uh, do we need an Iron Man or an Iron Man type? I don't want one. You don't want one? What about a Thor I, or a Thor type? I think that She-Hulk fills that void. Okay, okay. I don't know, but do you need two heavies? Uh, I think you need, a, you need a cosmic, right? You need somebody who can do... You need like a Captain Marvel or a Photon or a Thor can fill that role. Um, uh-huh. But I do think you need somebody who taps into the cosmic side of Marvel. If I'm going to go with a Thor, I'm going to go with Jane Foster. okay. Um, gives you a Thor on the, on the team, uh, but there's a human element to it. Um, she can be simultaneously, um, the Thor character who's very powerful, but also the character who's like, what the hell am I doing here? Mm. You know, you get both of those things, the Kyle Rayner or like Spider-Man actually was that, but he was very powerful. So you get her there. She knows it's the right place to be. It's the thing to do. So we're gonna say we're gonna say Jane Foster. She wasn't. She's not gonna take guff from Clint, you know. No. But she's still gonna feel out of her depth uh, in a, in a nice way. Now, do we need a? Um, so that's we have four. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we need either a, an Ant Man or a Wasp type? And do we need a villain who's turned good and is now on the Avengers? I think those mm-hmm. are the two slots that's we're kind of missing. That's an excellent thinking. 
I like a. I always like the wasp as the as the elder states person, as it were. Mm-hmm. You know, the one who she doesn't want to be in charge of. It doesn't want to deal with all that stuff. But you know, be like, oh, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Uh, so I like a wasp like that. I think that's a good. I, and again, because of the problems we have with with Hank Pym, not not his specious past, but the fact that he's ill defined, right? Um, and and then Scott Lang is is also. Uh, they all are. I like a Janet Van Dyne. I think I go with that. Okay. And then do we want like a Black Widow or a Scarlet Witch or? Well, we are, and then this is not a quota. And this is not, we are, we are three women deep. True. Um, which is, which is not bad. Um, Se- all right, century. I, Let's toss a century on there. No, I don't know. No, no, no. I, don't think you need heavy. I mean, technically Hawkeye is a guy, used to be a villain, but he's been a, a hero for so much longer in my estimation that I think you need someone who's more recently turned away from a villainous lifestyle. I always, uh, I always liked Moonstone. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you something here and it yeah. would require, it would require rewriting. Uh, we'd have to fix some things. The hood. Ooh. The hood. Parker Robbins, eh? You've got like a mystical sort of, there's your magic kind of character. Reformed, we were missing a right magic thing. kind of character. Yeah. And, and very like, even if they were reformed, you wouldn't quite trust them. He's got a kid though, right? I mean, I think that's how you do it. You, you mm-hmm. it's the, it's the, you know, I, 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 uh, recognizing, you know, his own, well, I actually don't know if the hood would recognize his own mortality because his power set might kind of push him into a less mortal mm-hmm. frame of being. But I think if he's got a kid and he's like trying to be a better guy because he, he needs to, to make a better example for his kid or a better world for his kid. I think that's the, the inciting incident or the motivation to make him want to try being on the Avengers, but maybe struggle with it because he's literally got like a demon mm-hmm. on his shoulder. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a quality team. And then I think, I, I mean, I think Bendis is the obvious answer to write it, but I could see, I mean, because yeah. you threw the hood out there, I could see a BKV hopping on the book. I, I, would, I wouldn't go with Bendis. I think he had his very long turn at the bat and affected everything that came after it. Um, that's a tough Given, one. okay, uh, I mean, I thought Christopher Cantwell handled the, the kind of wacky, weird Iron Man team in his book pretty well. So I could see giving Christopher Cantwell a shot at this. I think that's not a bad that's not a bad suggestion at all. I, I was actually thinking I was rolling it over in my head when you said his name. So just because would, like the the Frogman, Scarlet Spider, War yep, Machine, like yep. that was a good like that was an unexpected team and it worked and it was cohesive and it actually was believable. I'd say this and no more than six. Yeah, and I think I think actually I would really like to see Christopher Cantwell take um take on both Clint and Beast uh, to the two, two of the first characters we came up with. I think he would do really well on both those yeah. characters. Well, he's 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 certainly got a take on the male ego. And I think I think you you throw in some Wonder Man cameos, and that's a book. Oh, that's a book. I'd read that. I'd read that. I'd read that. Who should draw it? Mm. Who should draw it? Who, draw Who does an art these days? It's tough. David Marquez. I feel like it's a Dan Mora. No. What about a Dan? Mor- no, not a Dan Mora. I like Dan Mora. I, I don't. I don't I like, not like him, but it's like not a thing for me that it it comes up a lot. Uh I don't know. I have to think about it. I have to. I've. I've. I'm unclear. Who that should it be. wasn't it wasn't uh marco Cicchetto? maybe like i i kind of want it somewhere between the see marco Cicchetto to me feels like a dark 
ness to it, like a vertigo type of feeling. And I want something between that. And Marquez is sort of in that is that big arch, you know, super uh, thing. Something between Mahmoud Osrar. I think that's a great suggestion. That's a great really? suggestion. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I think he could do that. Because I mean, I feel like of, yeah. I feel like we're building a team that is similar to what, you know, that Avengers Forever, Kurt Busiek, Carlos Pacheco era. And I feel like Mahmoud Asrar, I love Carlos Pacheco, but I feel like Mahmoud Asrar has enough of that Pacheco-ness. But He's, it's, it's, it's uh, literally, it's, I think it's Buseminous. So, I mean, but what, I, what I'm trying to do here with this, and I think that you're with me, even though we haven't talked about it, is that we are building a team that is then and now. Yeah, modern like captures the things that we liked about how Avengers was, and then trying to put the stuff that's good about now in. And so you need a writer and an artist who are good with that. You know who would be good at this? Kelly Thompson. As a writer. Mm-hmm. I yeah, think so. I agree. I think she'd be great at it because she can do silly, but she can also do big. Um, it's a little of everything. I think she'd be good at that too. All right then. I'm I'm happy with that. I mean, that made me that's satisfying. If you want to write in, you can write in to contact at ifanboy.com. Uh, send us questions. We can always use more more thoughtful, fun questions. Uh, you could also write in for the media explode questions. We just did a mailbag show, uh, but if you write media explode in the subject line, you'd be good. Stuff that's coming up. I'm just doing this now because I'm talking. Uh, yeah. We had a media explode where we talked about the summer mailbag. As I said, there was a special edition for Thor: Love and Thunder, and and Connor and I thought that we would be lambasted for it, but I feel like many people have been like, "Yeah, that's that's about our take on it." So, um, still haven't it. seen it yet. So, well, you could listen to the show. Uh, I, do, I, I I'm I don't want to. I'm not like them. a. I'm not a crazy. I'm not crazy about like avoiding spoilers or anything like that. But I am <laughs> genuinely, and I, I I hear that the reception has been lukewarm. I'm t- plugged into the culture enough to know that, but I still am interested in seeing it fresh without having listened to your review first. So right. That's why I don't want to. That's why on. I don't even want to say anything because I don't want you to. Yeah. But I am. I haven't listened to it yet. But I am really excited to listen to your Rainbow Rowell interview talks. About. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That just came out um, yesterday as we're recording. But a Rainbow Rowell. Um, I mean, like. You know, by the end of it, I was like, "Oh, you're my favorite person now." Um, she's she's awesome. She's a great comic book writer. Put her on our Avengers book. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't know. She ha- she seems to have a thing where she has a love for a character and then then puts that into it when she writes it. So I don't she also know is like good at writing teens authentically, which is not what we need for our Avengers book necessarily. That's true. But she also she Hulk. She's not doing that. True. That's a good point. And you put She Hulk on the team. It's so maybe true. it's a crossover event. Crossover event. Yeah. <laughs> I like I like the role in editorial I've taken of <laughs> just declaring. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna make another suggestion. And I actually think that this is probably the best one for it for for me and what I have in my head. Would be Matthew Rosenberg. Okay, but who who's drawing it? When is it still Osrar? Could still be sure. There's sure. somebody I'm thinking of who or I haven't I haven't pulled in my head who I think would be perfect, but. Um, I, I love Osrash, so I think that's perfect. You do need a person who has some of that grandiosity to do an Avengers book. Yeah. So that's important. You can but find you, all the shows you can we also do. do. Oh, I was going to, I was going to, I mean, we no, go that. ahead. Fine. No, it's fine. You can find all the shows we do over at ifanbar.com as well as the archive of years of great comic book writing from our talented staff and Ryan. To find out what the big week is before the show comes out. Follow at ifanboy on Twitter and at ifanboycomics on Instagram. You can follow us individually at at Ryan helped on Instagram or at Jay Flanagan on Instagram. And um, if you wanted Connor, he's uh, CS Kilpatrick. Uh, you can subscribe to our YouTube page at youtube.com slash iFanboy, uh, where all of our video 
content has now been uploaded. The full archive as available is there for your uh, perusing pleasure. And we also put up this show uh, on Instagram every week if, or on YouTube every week, if that's the way that you choose to enjoy it. And if you dig this show, you can write a review or leave a star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you are watching this on YouTube, you can uh, hit like. You can you can smash that subscribe button, click the bell so you get notified. I don't I don't know how to do the YouTube thing. I'm not a YouTuber, just a humble country podcaster. Or better yet, <laughs> tell your friends, uh, tell your mom, tell your children, tell your letter carrier. You know, maybe like uh, it, it, when the dog is barking because the mail has come through the slot, just shout out the slot. Sorry about my dog, but listen, I fanboy. And uh, the letter carrier will think you're you're a weird person. Um, but when you do that, we we know that you'll be helping spread the I fanboy love. And we appreciate that because that's that's how people find out about the show. You, you may not believe it in this interconnected digital age, but sometimes just shouting with your mouth hole at another human being what it is you like about the Internet. If it's this podcast or any other podcast you like is, is a good way to do that. It's true. And I think we have completed another round of men blabbering on about shit that doesn't matter. Well, that's what I mean. That's the, the, the birth internet. of the podcasting. It's form. true. <laughs> I mean, I, I do mean, it well. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but you know. <laughs> blathering, I, mean, I think, is uh, selling yourself short. I said blabbering, not blabbering, blathering, okay. which I think All is right, different. Fair enough. But hey, I was. Like I said, I'm good at it, but ultimately, uh, it's an escape, and that's what it should be for, and it's fine. Um, well, I'm Ryan. I'm Josh. We will see you at the movies. Nope, nope, wrong time. Fanboy pick of the week. I just clipped the mic. Episode 839. I'm Josh Flanagan. No, there's the typo. There's the typo. <laughs> it's really not a typo as much as a uh, oversight. Yeah. Fuck so up. Uh, this is my solo script from last week, so I didn't introduce anybody else. But here with me is Dr. Ryan Haupt uh, of the I'm Fanboy Auxiliary Reserves. Here for episode 840, which is the one that this actually is. And that was my fault oh. on the script. Oh, I said 839. Yeah, yeah. I was just trying to get you to reset. And put me, put me. Okay, got it. I'll do it again. <laughs> you put, you told, you Ron Burgundy'd me. Wow. <laughs> I didn't mean to. I didn't mean and to. And I didn't even, didn't even see it. Three, two.